Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film is Christopher Nolan's latest, Interstellar. Now, uh, Christopher Nolan and David Fincher are two of my favourite directors, so this has been a really, really interesting time in the podcast, getting to enjoy their, their latest work. Just a quick warning, there will be spoilers. We've seen Interstellar, it's hard to talk about without spoiling things, so just a heads up, if you haven't seen the film and you don't want it spoiled, maybe stop listening now. Also, uh, there may be some slight spoilers for Gravity in here as well. I think it draws some parallels to the Sandra Bullock and George Clooney movie. Lloyd, let's jump right in. What'd you think? Uh, I really liked this movie. I, I I saw it on the biggest screen I could possibly see it in because in Canberra, where I live, we don't have any IMAX theatres or anything like that. And I saw it at Hoyt's Belconnen on the Extreme screen, I think it's called, um, which is their biggest screen they got available. So, And I'd advise anyone who's going to watch it to do the same. How did you watch it, Dave? Uh, well... Werribee uh, in Victoria was where I watched it. They're going through construction at the moment. So they're building like a gold class and bigger screens and stuff. So the cinema I watched it in, I was just hoping that I couldn't hear the construction from <laughs> four cinemas away, which I couldn't. It was fine. Yeah, just probably an average cinema, I would say. Okay, sure. Um, you went... Yeah. Sorry, you went on a Friday night, didn't you? Yeah, like, I went on a Friday night. It was the uh, it was at eight thirty. It was like the one of the two only times it was being played on the extreme screen. I guess just because of the length of the movie, um, and it was really packed. My audience and I saw it with my friend Adam. Shout out to you, buddy. Look, here's the thing about going to the movies these days: it's so hard to justify twenty minutes worth of trailers and ads, yep. isn't it? Because yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I talked about it on a previous podcast. Let's- <laughs> Let's stay with Interstellar. <laughs> you know, despite, I think- um, uh, despite all that, uh, I had pretty good trailers from what I saw. Like, I, I think I had Exodus and Sonic Girls that looked really good, but I know exactly what you mean. It extends. So, if you're going to watch an hour and a half movie, it's going to be now two hours. You know, that's just going to be a, a, a fact now. A factor. <laughs> but Interstellar is 169 minutes. Yeah. And the budget is $165 million. So, it's nearly a million dollars a minute. Wow. $976,000 per minute. Crazy. I'm not sure all of that was on screen. I think a lot of that was visual effects and stuff. But look, this has drawn comparisons to 2001 A Space Odyssey as yep. well, Lloyd. The monoliths. Do you think that the robots looked like the black monoliths from Odyssey? Uh, that's a really interesting comparison. I didn't hear that one. I-, I thought they were very 70s design. And when I first saw them, I go, that looks ridiculous. And they sound exactly ridiculous. the same. I thought yeah. the same thing. <laughs> I purposefully avoided all of the trailers, except I saw the teaser trailer for Interstellar, but I avoided all other trailers, and I understand that the robots were shown in the trailer. I pretty much thought, as soon as I saw it, what is this ridiculous (laughs) robot? It's so 70s. (laughs) But then the practical application of it, like when it's rolling on the wall. Oh my God, I had the same reaction. When when he saves that girl, he goes, "Uh, Taurus, go, or whatever the name was, and just goes... I'm like, well, why didn't they just send out that robot to begin with? <laughs> exactly. When the, when the robots got going and they were, like, comical and, like, you know, good for the film, once they get going, I was thinking, why didn't they just send a bunch of robots? 
Why just so build a whole kids? army of them, you know? Like, you can just go, oh, well, you know, th- this fail. And th- could they fly? Like, how did Taurus get into the black hole at the end? Sorry for skipping ahead. No, you're right. Um, well, they ejected him into the black hole uh, right before Matthew. Oh, I see. So the, it, it just had its own trajectory sort of thing. Like yeah, dropping, it just kind of propelled yeah. him in that direction, yep. I think. Okay. But, but he did fly back into the ship at one point when he was still on the ground to tell them that the- That was um, awesome. I thought he jumped and he had those magnet arms that just went shunk right into the boat. That was so cool. Yeah. And I guess once I saw the practical design of it, I was okay. Yes. No, same. Like, absolutely. The, sorry, practical application. Did you have any issues with the robot voices? Like the, did they sound really muffled or did they sound like just, they just didn't sound like they were emanating from the robots? Uh, I can't say I noticed that. My issue was a couple of times I wasn't exactly sure what the robot had said because I suppose maybe it was off screen or... Yeah, or, or the sound of the engines or something, or sound of turbulence, yeah. Yeah, uh, I know. I was just like, what was that? Like, you know, just... Yeah, I suppose they they did add quite a lot to the film and, and they were essential and this, the whole thing would have failed without the Ab- robot. Absolutely, and I, I was really hoping that... And, and he didn't do this to Christopher Nolan's credit. I was really hoping they wouldn't take a sinister turn like Hal did in 2001, where... I was very suspicious. Yeah, I thought Michael Caine would have implanted Sonic in their programmings that would have kept Matthew McConaughey from even attempting to go back home. But they, they instead, they become like tragic figures. They're, they're just there to help us as much as possible, and you feel for them when they go. I wanted to feel more for Taurus when he disappeared, but I didn't in the end. You know, it was just like, oh yeah, just a, a, the equivalent for the ship carrying them. You know, they were the, like that much of a character. They they didn't become I didn't become as attached to them as another 70 sci-fi film called Silent Running where the robots in that the AIs in that become tragic characters that are just there for humans and they get mistreated kind of but they're, they're the, tr- the true heroes of that movie uh, I just want to uh, quickly say I'm going to spoil Contact uh, have you seen Contact Dave with uh, Jodie Foster yes some time ago yeah yeah I just watched that last night for this podcast because a lot of the reviews I read kept comparing it to that film so I watched that last night so I'm going to be spoiling that as well guys so if you haven't seen contact please watch it it's it's really really good did you want to jump into that comparison now <laughs> well the whole father and uh, daughter thing uh, that was a, a huge thing and I guess the relativity of time which they sort of touched on in contact but really uh, when you get to the end of contact it's all about a, uh, a girl reaching out to a father you know that that's like the heart of the story although there's huge science in that as well and I feel the central aspect of um, Interstellar is really the relationship between Matthew McConaughey and his daughter. Um, I, I just feel that was the best part of this movie. Now, despite all the plot holes in this movie, because I've read a lot of reviews and a lot of people are very negative about this movie, and I'm, I'm certain there's a lot of flawed science and mainstream philosophy, I was so engaged. Like, the emotional connection in this was some of the best Christopher Nolan has ever done. Like, um, like I, there is more emotional truth in this movie than there is in, say, any romantic comedy I've ever seen or, or most dramas I've seen, you know? Like, and, and again, the key scene is when 
all the scenes with his daughter, like especially when Matthew McConaughey says goodbye to her and she, he's like, don't let me leave like this and then he drives away crying. Sort of spoilt for me because that was a big feature in the trailers. But yeah. the editing and uh, performance and music is just everyone working together to conjure that sort of magic. Like I was so blown away with that scene. For me, the perfect emotional moment of this film was when he started watching 23 years worth of videos. I love that scene. <laughs> and and it cuts back to him and he's burst out crying. And it's this this moment that I thought was maybe perfectly executed. That was great. How, how great was it? They only spent like a couple of hours and then they get back up and the guy has like been there for 20 plus years. And he's just like, yeah. oh, you know, I gave up hope you guys are ever coming back. That was so well done. I, I think that maybe that couldn't happen as extreme as it you know seemed i loved the idea yeah it's very science fiction but yeah i suppose if i was is it romilly romilly the guy who gets left behind I think he so. maybe should have given up there should have been a point where he went right it's been 23 years this this they're not coming back yeah <laughs> which i know it's uh, harsh to say but so when you're saving humanity at some point maybe they should have gone you know in 23 years maybe he could have yeah made a decision they could have had a a plan for them never coming back yeah because what if they never did come back and then they he just sat up there for the rest of his life tragic anyway (laughs) it it is for the human race (laughs) look i'll tell you my major issue with this movie and it does involve the ending but I found Cooper, Matthew McConaughey's character, very distant. At the beginning of the film, he's really unhappy. Obviously, he's lost his partner. He He's not loving how things are. He's looking for an adventure, and he jumps at the chance to do this. Whether or not he sent himself later, you sort of find out, you know, that he's given himself coordinates to start the whole mission he's on. I felt like saving the world was really secondary to him having a purpose, being a solo parent wasn't really working for him. You know, John Lithgow says that line where he goes, it's a parent-teacher interview, not a grandparent-teacher interview. <laughs> he gets immediately sidetracked when, he, when he's driving the truck and he cuts through the cornfield and goes for that drone. He's putting his kids in danger. He's uh, not going to their parent-teacher thing. He's being a really selfish parent, right? Yeah. And he's not staying on the course, literally not staying on the road with the kids. He's just going off doing his own thing, isn't he? Yeah. And he's dragging them in with him, which they almost go off a cliff because of it. <laughs> you know, so it's dangerous yeah. as well. I'm sure he loves them, right? I'm, I'm not doubting that. He loves his kids. But I just think the actions he takes are really selfish. So for me, after he's uh, gone behind the bookshelf, if you will, which we'll talk about in the Tesseract, after he floats out through space, they pick him up. He gets to see his daughter as an old woman, played by Ellen Burstyn, And she dismissively says, you know, you shouldn't have to stay here. Go off and find Brand. In a way, you're giving Cooper this nice ending that he doesn't deserve. Wow. For me, I think a better ending would have been if he had missed his entire daughter's life. She'd been this great hero. They named the space station after it was hundreds of years later. And he never got to see her. And then for her, it was enough For the daughter Murph, it was enough that he'd communicated through the Morse code in the watch, which we'll talk about. But I think it would have been enough for her to know that he had sent her this message and she would have been like, he did get back in touch with me. He did love me. That would have been her closure. 
And what she didn't need to see what him. What would have his closure been? He would have just been in this modern space station. Well, I don't think, as a parent, I don't think he deserved to see his daughter again. I think the whole movie's geared towards us hoping he sees his daughter again. I just think it's a cop-out, like a Hollywood ending, yeah. to have him see his daughter again. So, for me, I was like, uh, you know, he's been so selfish, like, with his family that... And, I mean, so distant with his son. Yeah, I, felt I, really felt sorry the, yeah I felt like the daughter was, like, the favourite. And the son, yeah. who was this loyal guy, you know, who kept on being a farmer you know despite i guess he had aspirations for college or maybe his father did but yeah. you know he had a family and you know he's dying of asthma and he sort of knows it. He, he's a really tragic character who doesn't at all i don't know just doesn't feel like he gets the love from it, not only matthew mcconaughey but also the filmmakers <laughs> yeah i feel I feel like Jessica Chastain's fantastic, the actress that plays Murph. And, um, and the young um, uh, the young Murphy as well. Yeah. Murph. <laughs> Murph. Murphy's Law, whatever happened, can happen, yep. will happen. Um, I just didn't think he deserved that ending. And I think if he had woken up and seen that his daughter had saved the human race, right... That would have had the same impact as if he hadn't seen her because he barely spent any time with her. I have to agree with you, Dave. Yeah, that that sounds um, absolutely right. Uh, but and, I was, I did feel a sting when he saw her. You know, with the old family. I know it's so Hollywood, and he sees her like surrounded by this beautiful family, and he holds her hand, and it, they're just completely different people now. You know, but um, I don't know. I felt Sonic at that scene. <laughs> of course, of course. I just didn't think he deserved it. Absolutely. And, That's where I agree with you. And also, I don't think he would have left his daughter to go see Brand, which is where it doesn't make sense to me, too. If his daughter had been dead for hundreds of years, and then he said, well, I guess I'll go drive off and see Anne Hathaway now, because there's nothing for me yeah. here. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That would have made more sense to me, too. Whereas, I feel like he would have had so much more to say to his daughter, you know, even though she's dying there. He could have said anything. They didn't talk about the watch. Mm -hmm. He could have said that was me, you know, to confirm it for her before she died. He could have said anything about his adventure. You know, he could have said the line which he said when he left her as a little girl, which was, I love you forever. He didn't even say that. Mm. That would have been a nice symmetry. I, I was uh, unhappy because, as I said, selfish, didn't earn it. And I didn't feel like that bit was handled as well as it could have been. That ultimately is the issue of the film for me, is not all the sci-fi and... Not stuff like, you know, planets can't orbit black holes and uh, where's the source of light for these new planets they're going to, you know, there's no sun or star, you know, the science of it. People are digging out a lot. I know. It, it. It's just so weird. Like, I guess I can understand, like, we talk about this all the time on our podcast, things that take you out of the movie. And I guess there are gaping plot holes in this movie and there is huge gaping flaws in its science and logic and maybe its philosophy isn't accurate. But uh, again, that emotional truth was beautiful. Like, I was so engaged. Like, there is more, um, and a critic said this, there is more believability in him link docking with the ship at a crazy speed. You know how he's got spinning yep. around in circles? There is he's more... such a cowboy in that scene. <laughs> there is more po uh, possibilities of him actually making that docking um, moment than there is of a wormhole in space. You know what I mean? But I didn't care because I was so excited and engaged. Like, oh my gosh, I hope they make it. 
you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, little things like that, people were picking apart. But I, I don't know, man. Like uh, Transformers Four made a billion dollars, and I, I don't see people picking apart the science and that. I think the movie pushes itself as a super intelligent two thousand one film. Uh, which I don't think it is. I, 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 I just see this as a very good movie experience. Uh, I don't think Christopher Nolan is aiming for that high art or anything like that. And I, I really hate putting a snobbery social distinction between that. But I, I think people have to separate that f- from the movie experience, I, I think. And in this world of remakes and reboots and sequels, I think Christopher Nolan is like this gem, you know, who... who tries really hard at making original work with prestige interstellar and um you you, you know uh, um what was the other inception you, you know he's reaching really high with a lot of these films and it's great just to see original work in this modern day and age and i think every christopher nolan film is like a cinematic event really what about this what about he uh at the end he arrives in that new space station, you know, the big cylinder that they're living in. I don't understand. Everything is sideways and there's a farm there and they got their own agriculture. Is that right? Like you can literally grow things in that space station? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It feels un- like maybe they could have solved that on Earth. But anyway. <laughs> okay. So however long has passed, you know, 50 years or whatever it is, 100 years and we're living in space now. What if his daughter was long gone but left him a recording? Yeah, or he and, and, and he could better. watch it like a documentary, like in that in his house. Yep, and then which just I start, liked. I didn't, and then I just didn't start crying the, again. Yeah, I didn't mind that their house was a museum. Yeah, that was cool. In Gravity, which I'm going to do a little spoiling for, you know, when George Clooney goes off into space self-sacrificially, he's like, uh, he goes off, and we know he's done. Mm. You know, there's pretty much we we hope that he's going to be all right, but there's pretty much no chance he will be. It's a bit of a cheat to have Cooper live in this, you know? Yeah. I think Gravity did it right. They had that hallucination sequence where Sandra Bullock sees him again and you think for a moment George Clooney's still alive. But he's not, of course. And that makes sense. Like, again, the chances of him being alive, it shouldn't be. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's very Hollywood to have him see his daughter again. We've talked about it. But, yeah, for me... Gravity is superior to this simply because I feel like, I don't know, they created this perfect little world and it felt the most real. Mm. And I know this is dealing with stuff that we would never possibly know if it's completely accurate, you know. I don't know. Well, you, you're a fan of Dylan Thomas, aren't you? I feel like you've done a yeah, I've adapted a few YouTube of his video. yeah, I've adapted a few of his poems um, on on YouTube, uh, "Clown in the Moon," and I've, I was gonna go and do a whole bunch of others as well, uh, uh, which I still plan to do. I, I like how the characters take this on a more sinister level, like the meaning of the poem, specifically the character of uh, Michael Caine, maybe, but obviously yep. of Matt Damon, who was just great to see. I didn't see that coming at all they hit him really well uh, uh, reminded me of how well they hid Kevin Spacey in 7 
You know, I was just like, oh my gosh, Matt Damon's in this. But I saw him coming as a bad person. Yes. Yeah, right away. And I, I do agree with a lot of critics how how over the top it was to call him man. Like this. Dr. Man. Dr. Man. <laughs> well, I guess he was supposed to represent man, like the, the instincts for survival and all that. And it's really hammered into you with what he kept saying. You know, this. And that man is man's own worst enemy. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree it's a bit um too much but i do like it how the philosophy of the dylan thomas um poem he takes it on a more sinister level that you have to fight for everything you can before you go into death sort of thing just so you yeah. before you start to brighter to burn as bright as possible that sort of thing uh, i don't like i don't think dylan thomas meant that but you know it's it's like a cry for human uh for humanity against the uh, inevitable death that we all face sort of thing I think the poem was a bit overused, mm-hmm. the amount of times they kept saying it, and it's a long movie, but it didn't need to be referenced as much. I thought it would have been sufficient to have Michael Caine say it once, then maybe Matt Damon show it, you know, like represent yeah. the words of the poem. Absolutely. And and then at the end, you've got it written there on the museum of them uh, in, in the cylinder biodome or whatever it is. Um, to have it written there again drives the point home. Yeah. I think uh, every other time they said it and having it as Michael Caine's final words and stuff was overkill. And I was like, oh, we're doing the poem again. <laughs> we, we get it. Like, we're not a dumb audience. We're watching Interstellar. We've chosen to watch this. Like, you know, maybe that was too much. Another big but, um, criticism of the film, sorry, Dave. Um, a big criticism of the film was Jessica Chastain. Like, why would she hold a grudge for so long? Like, she becomes a super scientist. Um, and uh, I think she would have realized in working in NASA with her father's sacrifice to go off into space and, and to, to, to try and save humanity. Like, that's obvious. She's working for NASA now under Michael Caine's tutelage. Like, why is she still holding that grudge till her early 40s? Like, that, that's, there's no reason, I think, for, for the drama. But I didn't notice that until I read these, uh, you know, reviews. I did read a couple of things which pointed out the emotional connection between Coop and Murph was, uh, you know, they had this little on-screen time together where she was a little girl and he was the dad and they needed to have him be the greatest dad in the world and he wasn't. He was selfish and everything that I said. Yeah. So a few people pointed out in reviews and stuff where they didn't think the emotional connection worked and that's the basis of the film. And so people who don't like the science and look for the emotional stuff some people didn't even think that worked. oh wow <laughs> overall i enjoyed the film i have to say it was like an event like we we're looking forward to this for a long time yeah. uh intentionally avoided a lot so i could enjoy it as much sort of firsthand as possible i did want to say just on the matt damon dr man thing um which was great because i was hoping that it'd be like woody harrelson or somebody <laughs> and like you know somebody that matt mcconaughey was buddies with or whatever I was very impressed when it was Matt Damon. But it was funny because they were painting him as he's the best of all of us. I had to laugh, though, because um, I imagined that when Earth's Earth's dying, all the A-list celebrities go up into a colony together. (laughs) And everybody who's rich enough, they'll be on this, like, rich and famous, you know, colony on the moon or whatever. And it's starting to feel like that when you had (laughs) Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey and... uh, Matt Damon all sharing a a room together. (laughs) When he betrays Matthew McConaughey and tries to send him off that cliff, I imagined it was like Mice and Men, and I was watching it and going, oh, one of these two is going to 
pop the helmet open on the other one like and it was a point in the film where i think they almost could have killed matthew mcconaughey off and it would have been a great twist yeah but when the robot was disabled that's when i knew he was bad i don't know if that's the moment for you like when matt damon was a bad guy because his robot was disabled and those things were supposed to last hundreds of years or whatever yeah so they could go into this hypernation and be woken up and you know these robots had to last and the fact that he didn't i was like oh there's something very suspect and, and, here. and, and he rigged that to explode if anyone accessed the archival right yeah yeah i believe so yeah that's crazy yeah well he's the best of all of us so he can rig things like that did you think about the film lucy at all when you were watching it no um a couple of times they sort of it seems to be something we can't quite explain yet you know like that's too beyond us at our present evolutionary state absolutely yeah and so lucy did sort of the same thing where it was like everything she's experiencing towards the end they sort of can answer by saying you know it's beyond us we'll never know exactly what that is yeah i feel like 2001 ended the same way as well dave who opened the wormhole like i don't understand that i'm too dubbed to figure out plot like uh the insider for instance took me six or seven viewings um to understand what was happening people were like oh the tobacco movie on oh, tobacco movie what are you talking about because <laughs> i was so uh, blown away it? with how it was told this movie uh, i've still got no idea what's going on like who opened the wormhole and y- you know was it was it us humans who had an evolutionary state we created that or something because you're, uh, you're a big time impl- travel dude, so I figured you'd figure all this stuff out before this podcast. I've, I have a theory. I have a theory, but I don't know if it really... Like, we'll talk it out a little. So the, they, they said it opened 48 years ago, this wormhole. Is that the and, age of Matthew McConaughey? Oh, I don't know. He's early 40s, um, I think. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure. I didn't think about that. So let's say it's nothing to do with Matthew McConaughey for now. Yep. Uh, it, opened, it opened 48 years ago near Saturn, and I thought if they had opened it near Saturn, like maybe they could have opened it a bit closer. I was like, why must it be seven years travel away <laughs> if the Earth is so near being destroyed? <laughs> but anyway, that just must be the only access point for this wormhole, for this universe. Everything can be sort of explained by it. That's just how it is. In a way, I like to think that in the first time all this happened, you know how they had plan A and plan B? Yep. Plan A was the whole spaceship NASA thing goes up and everybody who's in there gets to recolonize somewhere else. Plan B is that they land and use the specimens and the DNA and everything and basically start a new colony, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I like to think the first time around, uh, Anne Hathaway and maybe Matthew McConaughey wasn't involved at this point. No Cooper, so it's Brand and some other people. And they go to a planet and they land and they uh, basically she sets up everything and they do the colony. Everything, you know, they genetically create a new human race. Then that human race lives on, right? Multiplies, hundreds of people, have long it takes. And then I imagine that the human race on Earth maybe. Uh, that that was it for them, basically. Uh, but because time happens so much slower where Anne Hathaway is, generations go by, and whether they evolve or whether it's some other race that humans encounter, there's another set of life forms or else it's the humans there, whatever it is, they evolved, right? 
Yep. And then I imagine either that human race that started by Anne Hathaway's colony or a, another group of species or whatever, they, we'll just call them they, they decide to save the human race, right? Yep. And they're so, they're in the fifth dimension. They exist outside of time, all that sort of stuff. They create a tesseract, sure. We can go with that. Why not? Behind the bookcase, sure. They decide they're going to save the human race and they put the events into place to make sure Cooper comes along. Um, basically, I mean, my head hurts from from thinking about this movie too. <laughs> but they... The wormhole was maybe always there and they just highlighted it for the human race. It's like a whatever could happen, will happen situation. So you got to imagine this wormhole was always going to be there or always going to open up. Or if it could have opened up, it would have opened up with Murphy's Law. Yep. I guess. I feel like the Anne Hathaway group there either highlighted that humans existed on Earth, they were able to tell that story, they were able to point out to these they, other people, um, that humans were important and that, you know, they were evolving and that the planet died and whatever. Uh, and if Anne Hathaway hadn't had landed there, then I feel like the humans would have just ended on Earth. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm. So I guess my theory is plan B worked first, right? With Anne Hathaway being able to um, colonize and, you know, create a new human race, restart the human race. Uh, so that happened. And then because of that, plan A worked, which was being able to, I guess, have that cylinder floating in the in the in orbit, basically near Saturn. Yeah. That wouldn't have happened if brand hadn't been able to restart the human race i suppose yeah i guess they could be humans but i like to think that they are not yeah i like to think that they're a, a species that i mean humans are never going to evolve to the point where we it's going to take so long you know for us to i guess exist outside of time like, think about how long that will take. Yeah, because they're not really time travellers, are they? They're almost like a different species. Seemingly. Um, well, I don't like to think of them as humans because I just... I suppose humans have such a little chance of survival. Uh, it's a little bit like Jurassic Park, isn't it? Life finds a way. But I don't think we're going to evolve into these time-travelling... Uh, tesseract wielding peoples I think that's if we say that's a different kind of species organism you know it makes more sense to me that it's not humans but that they are you know benevolent and that they well, didn't want to see the human race become extinct and so they saved us basically mm. they found a loophole in the in that Murph's intelligence would you know help this is where it falls apart a bit for me how much information can you Morse code through a watch? <laughs> you know, I just... That, for me, like, it would have taken so long to do nuclear equations and stuff through a watch. And it would have had to have been on repeat, don't you think? Yeah, like... like because she would have missed the beginning and not written <laughs> that down. So then it would have been ticking in Morse code constantly. Maybe forever. it's a loop, Yeah. Which is fine, but he would have taken so long there bending the light or whatever he was doing with 
affecting the Morse code. Yeah, oxygen and all that didn't matter, wasn't even a factor in the black hole, was it? Like, he could have taken off the spacesuit, that's how I understood it. Or unless a spacesuit's a super and they can last for a very long time. Yeah, I suppose it was this place that existed outside of space and time. Yeah. I don't know. Manufactured Tesseract, like in Avengers, they're using the Tesseract and it's just unlimited power kind of thing. And um, um, how come Taurus couldn't survive? He just ran out of power cells or something? Or Sorry, how come? Uh, how come the robot didn't survive? Like, although he could speak... I, I think you've been calling him Torrance, and I think he's Tars. Oh, Tars. Oh, I thought it was I Taurus. think I'll just... Like the bull. No, you're like right. Like the star constellation Tars. Tars. Yep. Yep. Because it was like stars, Tars. Yep. Yep. Cool. How come Tars um, um, didn't survive? Well, he did. He was in there with him, and he was. you could hear him. They were talking together. He'd survived getting into the Tesseract and he was transmitting information. But then I don't know how it goes from TARS to Matthew McConaughey to the watch. Yeah. It's a bit flimsy. Like, like I, I think I they were both floating in space and they got picked up by the space station. And I think obviously TARS was one of them. And I think he, he just ran out of power cells or whatever. And um, using the same shell, Matthew McConaughey brought him back um, to life and just reprogrammed him with the same uh you know parameters as tars originally had like with the comedy yeah. at, at a certain percentage and all that yeah for me another thing that would have been useful and another reason they didn't have to see each other was if in the morse code into the watch at the end he just wrote love dad yeah like he's doing all that morse code anyway <laughs> what's seven more letters <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> I like um, it how the, 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 the sun just turns around like Je- Jessica Chastain runs out into the farm. The sun's about to beat the hell out of everyone for taking his family into the truck and burning his crops, mind you. And she's going, it's okay, Dad's going to save us. She's holding up this flimsy watch that's, you know, <laughs> taking it around. He's just like, all right. <laughs> he's like, ah, uh, he was, he did that perfectly, uh, Casey Affleck, but being the, like, jilted son. Yeah. Obviously the emotional family center of this film like it worked um having a favorite child i think did you like topher grace in this movie no i i really don't like topher grace not just because of spider-man 3 and um (laughs) (laughs) that 70 show i have nothing against that 70 show he's just got one voice and one look and it just takes you out of it like i don't think he's an actor that can blend in whatever environment he's cast into like, I think he ruined Predators. Like, Predators was a terrible movie to begin with anyway. Although, like, but all his scenes were just like, oh, I don't... Uh, like, I saw his, his twist coming, like, a mile away. And, and in this, he... I don't know, he just stuck out like a sore thumb. I still haven't seen Predators, but I'm probably not going no, to. No, don't so that's all right. <laughs> I imagine that scene in Wayne's World, you know, when Wayne stops and talks to the camera and says, really, is this, is this the best we can do? <laughs> like, about Topher Grace? And and then it's like, did we did we already spend one hundred and sixty five million dollars? We did. Oh, okay, okay, great job, Tofu. That's, that's great. That, that's a wrap, everybody. Just, I felt like he didn't fit in there at all. Yeah, and maybe they should have cast some unknown or something. Yeah, that's right. It's unnecessary too. He was such a small role. It was just the beauty of getting involved in a Christopher Nolan film, though, is you become an actor who he can cast in something else. Mm-hmm. This is all an audition, really, because. He picks the same people, he picks people he likes, and they get to be in all the cool movies, right? Yeah. Michael Caine's worked with him six or seven times or something stupid, so he obviously enjoys working with Michael Caine when there's a role for him. He puts him in there, you know? He plays favourites. So I think by 
appearing in a film, getting to know him a little bit. This is essentially hoping for more work yeah. for people like Topher Grace. I want to talk about one of the people in this movie, Lloyd. Yeah. Wes Bentley. Now, he's the bearded NASA guy who steps off on the planet of water and doesn't step back into the ship. <laughs> Despite his commanding officer, Coop, I'm presuming the pilot's the commanding officer in the situation, he doesn't get back into the ship. He's just paralyzed watching this, like, 20-story tidal wave coming at him. <laughs> Anne Hathaway got off before him and got back on the ship with the robot's help. He stood in the doorway going, whoa. <laughs> I don't know what NASA training he had. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't He enough. was complaining about being exhausted from the gravity as well. I don't know if he was... Nevertheless. I was just... I don't know if he was... Yeah, exactly. I don't know if he was taking time out to catch his breath, but I don't know. If I saw a big tidal wave coming my way, I'd be like, all right, I'm getting back on this shit. <laughs> Especially yeah, if you got, you got those robots as well. Like, yep. I, I'd just be sitting there, oh, go check out what that is. Okay, that's nothing. Go over there. You know, just just <laughs> use, abuse and abuse those robots. That's what they're there for. That's right. And Tors, do you have a, a bit- pleasure capability? <laughs> Sorry, that, that that's from <laughs> South Park. Awesome. <laughs> and he's like, it's at 1%. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's change that. <laughs> I felt like Wes Bentley's character was so frustrating because I was like, there's no way he shouldn't have gotten on that ship, especially if like a survival instinct is kicking in, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Where does um, who did you think? Where does Sorry, Interstellar go. sit for you in the Christopher Nolan canon? Um, as a big budget movie, I mean, I probably enjoyed Inception more, mm. but like Inception, uh, this one gives you so many questions afterwards, and it's both films are like you know you're going to talk about them on the drive home. I mean, I sort of group the Batman trilogy together now. Yeah, it's. Sort of feel like not splitting those up. Hey, <laughs> uh, look, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. I feel like I've got to see it again. Interstellar. It's so hard to. Yeah, of- it's too. It's too soon. Um, we've got to uh, wait a few more months, I think, to to really give it an accurate. Like time is the ultimate critic, and that's the one that ultimately matters. But I, I'm still riveted from watching this movie i like i want to watch it again just to feel those moments like the the thunder of the engines and them flying out into space and him thinking about his family like the the brief flashbacks like just all those moments were just magical to me um yeah despite all the flood i I really like how in space it was all silent like uh you know you can hear people coughing in the cinema everyone's getting nervous because you could all hear each other but i I love that truth because 2001 did the same thing whenever they were outside like because there's no sound in space uh and and uh i i I just like that aspect i had an interesting cinematic experience gravity did the same thing oh yeah that's right yep i was gonna say i feel as if christopher nolan has two things he likes to include in films and one is going from really noisy to really quiet Mm. which works perfectly in this film having like a big explosion and then cutting to dead silence you know that immediate kind of juxtaposition and the other thing is he loves strapping a camera to the side of a vehicle (laughs) there was so many shots in this film on the side of a rocket on the side of a car on the side of you know that he's repeated that in all his movies, I think. Just he's also a beautiful a, little. He's also a huge nod. Michael Mann fan, 
like he said that about the Dark Knight, how that thing was like a, a heat, the, the movie heat, like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro building up to see each other, the Joker and Batman um, building up to see each other. And I, I just saw touches of that. In fact, I thought the character Matt Damon was named after Michael Mann, but no, of course he represents, you know, mankind and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, maybe it was Michael Mann, maybe, <laughs> if he's an influence. Um, I was going to ask, do you reckon you would bother shaving your face if you were in space? Oh, I don't know if that has something to do... Because my friend, shout out to Ben, he's a firefighter. And he they have to shave their beard because firefighters evolved. And we're talking 70s and 80s, he had beards, you know, to show you're a man. But um, uh, since then, they've had to shave their faces to wear um, a, a fireproof mask that they have to wear underneath their suit. And so a beard gets in the way of that. I don't know if that's the same with astronauts. And I've, I'm thinking back of all the astronauts I've seen in videos. I don't think any of them had any facial hair. So maybe it's a prerequisite for Sonic with the spacesuit that they have to shave, like similar to firefighters, that they have to shave to put on the, the gear, maybe. Well, Bromley, was it? The African-American? Rom- Romilly. Yeah, yeah, Romilly had a beard. Wes Bentley's character had a beard. Um... I found the only one who was really clean shaven the whole time was Cooper. <laughs> but but I I wondered as well if when you're in hibernation and you're like deep sleep, you wouldn't grow like a bit of hair and fingernails and hair would keep growing or something. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, I thought probably the reason they're shaving is like a normalcy, like, you know, feel like days are going by and things like that. Um, to have kind of a routine and, you know, an oc- something to do, occupy your time, I suppose. Yeah. But I don't know. I can't imagine myself shaving that often. Like, is, is it, I don't shave that often now. <laughs> this is one of the few films that deals with uh, relativity. I think like it's always a big factor in space uh, movies. Like, uh, like everyone goes, no, no, no. But when you're in space, your body doesn't change. You know, but yeah, but it, all time is relative, and you know, you sort of go cross-eyed and have that Austin Powers moment. And now I've got cross-eyed. Oh, you guys could forget about that. But uh, it, I thought the power of relativity, although exaggerated, was really shown in that scene you mentioned where they come back. They only spend a few hours on space, and they come back up, and twenty years has passed. It's just like, wow, jeez. And I really enjoyed that sci-fi element. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I was um I was watching Matthew McConaughey's performance because as we know he's really coming into a nice purple patch of his career. You've seen True Detective? I have. Yeah. And uh, the Oscar obviously for Dallas Buyers Club. I was thinking Matthew McConaughey is a good actor, but I'm not sure he's a great reactor. When other people are talking to him, he sort of has his mouth open, just kind of looks vacant. And doesn't seem to be really listening. He's waiting for his he, turn to speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he's maybe super rehearsed and he's figured out all his lines and performance of his own stuff. But when other people are talking, he just looks like he's going, did I leave the iron on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in space now, so... Sometimes to go back. Like, Sometimes to go forward, <laughs> you got to go back. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Just thinking in his head, there's just this vacancy and i don't think he reacts well and and it's not noticeable most of the time when you are watching him act then the next person talks they'll cut to the other person usually so you don't have to see him reacting badly but when you do just stay with his face you get this mouth open vacant look and i don't 
know if that's something he has through all his performances. It's something I'm going to look for now. Yeah, I'm going to have to... I, I really want to watch True Detective for a third time, and I'll probably have that in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does it in True Detective. I'm sure he does. Yeah. just I just wanted to close his mouth a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the pictures on the wall when they're in NASA talking about the Lazarus project did you see other pictures on the wall was Matt Damon's picture in one of the pictures it could have been but they hit it pretty well he goes and such and such the best of us you know um points yeah. to it and it's purposely kept in a long shot I bet he is in that if you have the blu-ray and you pause it and you zoom in you'll see it but um the filmmakers hit it they wouldn't dare cut to a close-up I feel like it might have been there, but I was writing a note at the time, okay. and when I looked back up, I was like, oh, I don't know if they cut to it. But yeah, yeah, well, Matt Damon was a big surprise to me, and I was watching that scene, so I didn't notice it. Like, But I'm sure it's there if you, if you watch it a second time and look for it really hard. I agree. Let's talk about Oscars, Lloyd. Do you think this is going to win any? Uh, well, the Oscars has really changed with so many nominations now, uh, which I'm kind of against. I liked it having only a, a certain amount of films that are actually nominated. Now, like, I think one year I saw had like nine or ten nominations and District 9 was in them. Like, wow, they're really trying to grab at everything just to put a, you know Oscar nomination label on them so they sell more. Uh, I, I just feel like it's um, hit like that. And uh, since then, I think the the being nominated for an Academy Award has diluted that like honour of, of actually being nominated. So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if this was nominated, but I don't think it's going to win anything except for special effects, sound, editing, etc. I literally wrote down, this will win all the technical awards <laughs> but lose... Lose Best Picture to Boyhood. Yeah. The, the uh, one that spans 12 years of real time uh, with Ethan Hawke. And because there are 10 Best Picture nominees, I mean, I can't see them not including this. Mm. Especially because it showcases at the Oscars. I mean, if it's going to win a bunch of Oscars for technical awards, it's sort of worth saying it's one of the Best Pictures. But when you have that montage of the Oscars where it shows all 10 films... There's so much interstellar stuff that they could do comedy with. There's so much that they could play as clips. Also, because Matthew McConaughey, maybe he gets a Best Actor nomination for this. I mean, I can't see them sort of not wanting to see him there, especially being the former winner Yeah. for Dallas Buyers Club. He'll be there to present anyway. So, I mean, I feel like this is just going to be a thing that... It's going to get all the technical awards. I'd like to see Michael Keaton... I'd like. I'm hoping Birdman's as good as um, it is in my head, and Michael Keaton, you know, making a triumphant return. I love Michael Keaton awesome. <laughs> only because I'm a huge, huge fan of Batman. Did you see? Just quickly to sidetrack, did you see um, Star Wars got a title? Oh uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Yeah. Well, it, um, the Star Trek director is going to be attached to it. Yeah. JJ Abrams, 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 yeah. Well, I I think JJ Abrams is very overrated, but I think whatever he makes will be heaps better than the last three. But I don't think it'll be as good as the the originals, uh, four, five, and six. uh, But I really can't wait to see it. I think it'll be a spectacle, nevertheless. Oh, we'll definitely cover it on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I'm not sure about it because it does open the door for people to make jokes about how they've slept through it if it's boring <laughs> you know i wish the force would have awoken me you know like <laughs> it's sort of immediately i, I hope it, it has no boring parts but 
that's yeah it's setting up jokes already also it implies that you know the franchise has been asleep and this is waking up the franchise so i mean it's going to make a billion dollars it's it's going to be huge there's no doubt Box people don't want to see Teflon. this yeah uh, but the thing that attracts me about it is the original cast members that are attached to it yes and finding out what happened to the people you loved as watching it as a child i suppose yeah. i mean jj abrams directed uh wrath of khan Star Trek 2? No. No, he didn't direct that? The star, star no, J.J. Abrams directed the second Into Darkness. Into Darkness, sorry. Yeah, well, Wrath of Khan, pretty much. Which was similar, I think, to Wrath of Khan. Similar. I'm not a big Star Trek fan, but there's one it's, where it's they... It's an absolute remake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, it is uh, Wrath of Khan, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that was a very... I think we did a whole podcast, and I think that was a pretty bad movie. Ooh, now I'm having... Now I'm nervous about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many people working in collaboration. I'm sure it's not just going to be J.J. Abrams' ideas. Sure. It's fine. The scene, back to Interstellar, the scene where uh, Brand admits she was in love with Edmund, Mm -hmm. the one who's on one of the three planets, and that is affecting her decision. At that point, Romilly should have said, fuck that. I didn't (laughs) spend 23 years waiting for you up here. (laughs) So we could... that came out of nowhere i was like who what who is this guy have we seen a picture like who is he yeah yeah i i very much felt like he didn't get to say anything at that point it was matthew mcconaughey talking and then her justifying her love and her instinct and whatever but he should have had a line where he was like i don't think so you know or whatever (laughs) i didn't just spend 23 years waiting so we could go so you could hook up with Edmund. This is about the logically speaking, just... Captain. <laughs> yeah, they didn't give him a moment there. They could have given him a big moment. He did. Do you like the it was ice... a very explosive moment? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, literally, Matt, uh, Matt Damon says there is a moment right before he explodes. Like that's his final line, which yeah. is a big moment and great because they finally cut off one of the speeches in such a shocking way. Uh, it was amazing. I really enjoyed that. But yeah. I felt like one of the most perfect sequences was when they're spinning out of control and trying to dock with the spinning station. I thought that was expertly directed yeah. and I really enjoyed it, it. It's just so exciting. And I think that is juxtaposed with her running into the house. No, it wasn't, was it? No, it wasn't that scene. No, I had an issue with that. When um, At the end, when he's sort of floating in space, getting hit with things and like falling down into the bookshelf and whatever... I think they cut back to Jessica Chastain standing in her room and Topher Grace standing in the field too many times. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, we get it. They're standing there. They're just, you're moving the pawns into position for, you know, your big chess move of the big reveal that he's the poltergeist or whatever, the ghost influence. Mm-hmm. But I was like, all right, stop cutting back to them. There was, the editing was wrong there for me. Yeah. And I, again, that I think didn't help it work for me at the end there. I don't know. Nolan was trying to save a dying world by using actual film to make this, Lloyd. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I heard an interview with him. Apparently, celluloid has much more of a lifespan than hard drives and um, uh, digital, you know, whatever we use. uh, Well, I'll just say hard drives that we put movies into now. Uh, And and I find that really interesting because Side by Side, which is a documentary on digital versus film that came out, addresses that. Like, uh, 
uh, David Fincher, who's a big proponent of digital, says, yeah, the format changes so much. I can't, like, I've shot commercials and music videos, and the video formats I shot them in don't exist anymore. Like, there's no way for me to get it out, you know? And I was just like, holy crap. And with digital constantly evolving, uh, we could see that, you know, in film, it's still, you know, you can go back 100 years. Uh, yeah, it might be a little bit diluted, but it still exists. You can watch it. So film, I feel, has much more of a lifespan, but it's also a, a completely dying form. We hear of Fuji and Kodak and all that going out of business. <laughs> hmm. I read on IMDb, this is straight from the trivia section of Interstellar, uh, Christopher Nolan had the visual effects created in advance and projected onto screens placed outside the spacecraft set. So when the actors looked out the windows of their space vessel, they would not be able to, or they would be able to see and react to a real environment and not a green screen. Wow, which was obviously different on Gravity. There's floating around in green screens, yeah. and yeah. Do you think in time? Interstellar will have kind of a masterpiece quality to it, like 2001 A Space Odyssey? It's hard to say. It doesn't have the mysticism of a 2001 A Space Odyssey or a philosophy like Solaris, which is Tarkovsky's film. So I don't think it'll... I think it'll go down as just a spectacle uh, movie. Just like... uh, I don't want to put Star Wars down, but Star Wars is more science fiction... uh, fantasy than science fiction. And I feel Interstellar will will be the same route. But if Christopher Nolan is reaching as far as he can to the Kubrick level of, of, of science fiction filmmaking, I don't think he got there at all. But it was a very, very nice love letter and attempt at reaching that high. And Tarkovsky. Let, let's throw Tarkovsky up there with Kubrick. I, I really don't mind when people do that, when they do an homage to things they love. And obviously he loves 2001 A Space Odyssey. You, you can't pretend it doesn't exist yeah. when you're doing a film like this. And I really like 2001. I like Kubrick a lot. So it's it's nice to see. I have to like watch it again because it, it's a struggle for me to sit through 2001, you know. <laughs> and yeah. Solaris. Oh, my gosh. My Tchaikovsky. That's uh, for those of you guys who don't know. Uh, Solar- listen to our Solaris podcast, the Steven Soderbergh remake. But Tarkovsky, uh, the Russian uh, government wanted a film on par with the America's uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. So that Russia got their greatest filmmaker, who's Andrei Tarkovsky, one of the greats in all of cinema. They said, yeah, do, do something. And so he made Solaris, which is a very, very very philosophical movie you know they just talk on and on about things it's heavy hand like Tarkovsky's intellect is more than capable of dealing with such matters and it's really interesting but I gotta warn you you're gonna be sitting there for a long time just listening to people discuss philosophy rather than watching you know a more spectacle uh, driven film like Interstellar like I would love to see that movie like big beautiful sets and two people just sitting there hamming out the philosophy and you know exactly what to do with humanity and all <laughs> what did you think of the handshake lloyd what, uh, what? The, the handshake between anne hathaway and matthew mcconaughey what was the handshake again when uh they're going through the wormhole of the oh yeah <laughs> and then he's flying back through it the other way and they shake hands it's sort of insane <laughs> because i feel like if they were moving through it maybe they would never line up like that mm. but that as well if he had held her hand and i suppose that 
is what propels him to want to find her again in the end because you know there's sort of a connection there yeah i i I didn't feel there was a romantic connection between them that justified him going out there to find her like in some far distant planet she's waiting for him i I don't know i just didn't feel that was built up i felt they were very professional in their dealings with everything and like especially when matt damon releases uh you know cracks him and he leaves him there to die and he manages to get his communicator on and she goes right away okay i'm coming to get you that was really cool but there was no chemistry there to go oh my gosh the man i love is is dying i gotta go save him Uh, which is great i'm not saying the film should have went in that direction i thought it was good but to have the whole film end with him going oh i gotta find her in a distant planet i was just like okay well maybe he's just so out of time now that the whole world has moved on you know her daughter's all old the only person in his time is anne hathaway so he has to go back to her sort of thing yeah that's it i'm gonna go with that it's a shared experience thing too they'll have both been through this together Mm. and there's no one else alive who knows what they've been through yeah We're going to cover more sci-fi next time when we do The Signal, which was a request. You can make a request for a film you want us to talk about on Facebook at facebook.com slash podme if you can. We're running an anagram competition at the moment where we give away letters and you have to unscramble or collect all the letters from episode 100. We've been mentioning them on the podcast. Today's letter is T, T for Thomas. Uh, Pretty much you find all the letters from episode 100 and the first person, we still don't have a winner, the first person to email us the unscrambled actor or actress's name. Uh, basically, we want you to send us a message to facebook.com slash podme if you can. Send a message to the podme if you can account. If you are the first person, then you win a DVD prize pack uh, with podme if you can merchandise in it. And uh, yeah, we're still waiting for a winner on that. So T is today's letter. Lloyd, obviously, always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. I've been looking I- forward to this for a long time. So, And I love Christopher Nolan, so it was just great to talk about that movie. And I'm just going to say one more thing. I, I, I feel like Matthew McConaughey, he had zero training. <laughs> he, he, he went from being a fl- flight like pilot of planes, as we saw at the beginning of the film, uh, straight into being a NASA pilot. And there's that scene where they're like, you know... They first take off, and I don't know how they can take off right next to this facility where nobody notices. But anyway, <laughs> they take off, they go into the sky, and then he's expertly checking all the controls and everything. I don't know how much time it would take to train a pilot, but he didn't need any. <laughs> I'm assuming he went through the intensive training. Of, I don't know. I know it jump cuts when he says goodbye to the daughter and he's driving away and he's crying to them launching into space, which I love that cut, but I'm assuming a lot of intensive training was involved um, to get him up there. <laughs> I do think if you can forgive all the convenient stuff that happens in this film and just watch it like a movie and just enjoy the experience, you will enjoy it, much like yeah. Lloyd and I have. Yep. Uh, but if you, if you are a science background person like so many online have criticized it um i suppose the average cinema goer who doesn't look into it anymore the weirdest thing that's going to happen is he's going to be in that bookshelf tesseract at the end and uh 2001 did something weird like that as well where he was in a room and he aged yep and it was much more mystifying because they don't explain anything so you're just like okay and then you see a baby floating in space (laughs) yeah exactly so it's pure sci-fi it's kubrick uh we enjoyed interstellar and obviously christopher nolan is a lot of fun on the podcast 
If you guys are looking for some videos from us, we do uh, also review obscure films with famous people in them. And uh, I just got a couple of good ones in the mail. So there's going to be some more good episodes coming up. Uh, that's at our YouTube channel. All the links are at podmeifyoucan.com. Thank you very much for listening. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews. 